Welcome to the Pastor's Cut Podcast. This is our podcast for the week of July 3rd, 2022. Welcome, Marissa. Thank you. Welcome, Dave. Hello. And we just had a wonderful time of banter before uh, we hit record, but we're going to do another one just for, for hoo-hahs. <laughs> so I love trivia. I love you know facts that are just kind of a little bit out of the way. Uh, here's the fact I was going to share, but then I found one better, but I've got to back it up. Cornell University discovered there's a beetle, a tiger beetle, it runs so fast that it can no longer see where it's going. Its its uh, eyes can't keep up, and so it has to use its antenna to avoid obstacles, which I just think there's a great little learning in that, that, you know, sometimes we go too fast, and we can't take it all in. But the good thing was we have the Holy Spirit to kind of guide us through. Isn't that a really great spiritual point? That's beautiful. That's wonderful. Thank you, beetle. What a great uh, illustration. Absolutely. <laughs> thank you, tiger beetle. But here's a better one. And I, I was reading this this morning. So there are Braille tattoos, believe it or not. Oh, that's cool. That they're, they're not like normal tattoos made of ink, because obviously if you're blind, you wouldn't be able to see it. But instead, they're little metal beads that are put under the skin that produce a Braille message. So they're uh, basically tattoos for blind people, so you can feel them, right? So I just thought, interesting topic of conversation this morning. If you were <laughs> to have a tattoo, Braille or ink... What would you want your tattoo to be? And there may be one of us around the table already with a tattoo, and I'm not going to say who. You have to guess. Yeah, but, let's but, guess. Let's figure this out. Which one, of, which one Dave of the Gus former... Dave has this really cool tattoo on his inner lip. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, Marissa, what, what tattoos do you have? I have two. Um, one I got on a mission trip mm-hmm. in college. Um, mm-hmm. My uh, youth pastor filmed it. Um, my parents were not pleased. I'm, I wonder why. Uh, so I, this is a just a tip for Matt. Don't take your kids to a tattoo parlor on don't. mission trip. I don't think he he would even dream of that. So but, uh, you were on a mission trip. Your youth minister thought it was a good idea to let you yes. get a tattoo. Now I was. Uh, it was college, so it wasn't, oh, okay. Yeah, I All wasn't. Right. So you were about technically an adult. Okay, but so what tattoo? Um, I have a um, really terribly done. A Maranatha dove on my back, but a tattoo that I'm proud of, <laughs> not that one, um, is uh, just this last um, uh, spring, I got a tattoo on my inner wrist, a pilgrimage tattoo at yeah. Razooks in Jerusalem. So this is the oldest tattoo parlor in the world. It's uh, thir- from 1300 AD. It's a Coptic cross. And I was tattooed by the 28th generation um, of uh, tattoo artists in this family who've yeah, been tattooing pilgrims in Jerusalem. That's really awesome. So, I'm, I'm looking at that really tattoo right now. <laughs> That'd probably be my answer, what I'd go for. So, yeah. uh, Marissa, thank you for sharing us with that story. Now, if, if you're One girls, good, one bad. <laughs> if one of your girls was to go on a mission trip and get a tattoo, what would you feel about it now? Um, I would be just fine with that, but I would hope that they would have a little bit more planning behind it than I did. Yeah. So, so if you're listening to this, when you see Marissa next time, just walk up and go, Maranatha. Yeah. There's one tattoo you can see and one you cannot. All right. All right. So, Dave, if you were to get a, a tat, what would you do? 
Oh, and I want to say maybe you already have one. I don't have any tats. Okay, and that, so I'm sorry. I'm I'm not that. If you exciting. call them a tat, it proves that you don't have one, too, guys. So oh, is that right? Oh, yeah, right? is that okay? okay. <laughs> well, I'm proving how how naive I am. I guess you're still cool. <laughs> so I, when I was in college, I thought it would be really cool to get a tattoo of Dulos across my arm. Mm. It was. I, now I, I know what that word means. To yes, the, the, to the to our average listener, <laughs> that is the Greek word for slave. It is the word that Paul used of himself frequently in the New Testament to say that he was the bond servant or slave of Jesus Christ, and sometimes he even used the phrase that I'm a fellow bond servant or slave of Jesus Christ. So I, I wanted to be a cool Bible nerd and have an insider <laughs> word that no one knew but a handful of people. And whenever I'd see you, I'd say, do la, so do la, so do remember me. <laughs> it's awesome. And this has been the Pastor's Cut Podcast for July 3rd. Wow. So so what about you, Darren? If you, know, you were to get a tattoo, or do you have one hiding somewhere? A maybe, giant eagle? Maybe I do, maybe I don't. Yeah, after watching season two of Cobra Kai, I got the big eagle on the back. <laughs> No, I don't have one. I've been trying to talk Paula into getting a tattoo together for years. Like, you know, a very subtle cross. She's on the wrist or the ankle, but uh, she's averse to pain and <laughs> doesn't want to go down that road. But, uh, you know, one day I may just wear her down yeah. and she will finally get it. Well, me Chris on, so. has a matching cross on the inside of his wrist, so Does maybe really? we can show with our powers combined. We can summon <laughs> Captain Planet, I think. But. Nice. <laughs> Okay, so, uh, you know, and I think maybe I just would get a Braille tattoo. Why not? Why not? Just <laughs> if to be, you don't like tattoos, implants. Just be, well, <laughs> just that way, jump to that. it's kind of the best of both worlds because I could have a, to- a tattoo, but no one would really know it's even there, you know? Mm. And so I wouldn't offend the really churchy people. <laughs> they would just think you're, you're extra cold or something. Yeah, that's right. That I, or maybe <laughs> We're I'd... really worried about your skin condition. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How ironic would it be to have a tattoo that said, De Plain, De Plain? Oh, <laughs> that's a dad joke right there. And if you don't understand that joke, you did not grow up on 70s and 80s TV, <laughs> i.e. Fantasy Island. All right, so let's jump in. We've, we've had enough banter, enough fun. Let's get serious. So we are studying on July 3rd. The last in the anxiety teaching series, there are seven people in the Bible who said, God, I've, I've had enough. Please take my life. Actually, that's not entirely true. That is true of all the people that we've covered to this point so far, except for Jesus. His response, he's so overwhelmed with anxiety. Actually, he wants to, he wants to live. You know, take this cup from me. It's in the Garden of Gethsemane scene. So it's out of Matthew 26. Verses 36 through 46, and I'm going to ask Marissa, do you have it handy? I do. Okay, would you just read this entire passage? Yes. And let's just sit in the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping, 
because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So um, we're going to take a little bit different approach when I teach this on Sunday morning, and I'll share that at the end. I normally don't use an acrostic as a teaching tool, but I am this, this particular week because this whole teaching series has not been so much about anxiety. It's been about peace, hmm. how to find peace, because people want peace, I'm convinced, at least good-willed people and people who are trying to follow Jesus, they want peace in their minds, they want peace in their hearts, they want peace in their relationships, and that seems to just be an ever-elusive thing. So I'll talk about that here in just a moment, but let's just sit in the garden with Jesus for a while. What do you see, what do you notice here as Jesus deals with anxiety? What, what stands out to the two of you? Dave, what, what stands out to you? He intentionally chooses community. Jesus does not go to the garden alone to pray alone in isolation. He chooses to bring people with him. Said by a good discipleship minister. How about that? <laughs> uh, You're exactly right. Uh, uh, but he literally, he chooses very carefully who is watching at a distance to, to keep an eye out for the betrayer that eventually would come into the garden. He also chooses wisely those who will be with him, thinking potentially that the, the moment of uh, the Mount of Transfiguration reminds them that God's presence is with them so they can stand guard with Jesus very closely while Jesus prays. And so Jesus is intentional in selecting who he wants, where he wants them to be while he's going through intense moments. He, he, is, he is not alone. And yes. I think we only have to be alone if we choose to be. Let me play off of that for just a moment and say there's a great spiritual discipline here that has often been neglected in the Protestant church the Catholic Church has held on to it over the years, and it's the discipline of, of watchfulness or keeping watch. And to Protestant ears, that sounds funny, but all it is is there are times um, in our lives and in what God is doing that we should pay careful attention. Mm. And I tell people, uh, especially if their last parent dies, I'll say, you need to pay attention to everything that happens the next couple days during this funeral because this is the passing of a generation. So just just pay attention. There, and you, you can name off 20, you know, examples, um, graduations are good times, or, you know, marriage, or a birth of a baby. There are times where you just should pay attention to what God is doing, because a moment like that does not come very often. So here in community, Jesus asked his disciples, watch. You want to pay attention to what's happening right now. So it's a great discipline tied with community. All right, mm -hmm. so Marissa, what, what you got? Well, what, this... what you got? <laughs> Other than a Maranatha tattoo. Man, see, that's not it wasn't supposed to be the takeaway for today. Does it say today. Maranatha or is no, it just no, the dove? No, 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 it's just the dove. It's okay. not good. I'll just say that again. This time in the Garden of Gethsemane occurred right after, <laughs> right after the oh, Passover goodness. meal. <laughs> that's my nickname for Marissa right now. Maranatha Marissa. That's fine. Okay, that's good. Fine. Keep going, sorry. <laughs> The time in the Garden of Gethsemane occurs right after the Passover meal. Um, it's uh, They've had this large meal. They've consumed at least four glasses of wine. Uh, their bellies are full. Their minds are cloudy. Then Jesus asks them to walk with him to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is, um, if, you, if you go straight there, it's a 45-minute strenuous walk. But he stops several times to pray over them and talk to them and teach them. So it's been a very long evening. Um, and they're in the cool of this garden, and Jesus asks them to keep watch. So just staying awake 
um, you know, that was its own little agony. Yep. They wanted so much to stay awake. They, their love for him, their desire to impress him <laughs> and to, um, and you know, their ambition, ambition, um, should have carried them where their love failed. But no matter how much they wanted to stay awake with Jesus, their flesh was just too weak. So this is a small illustration, a small agony, a picture of what's going on within Jesus's spirit in his body. Um, he's saying the spirit is willing, but the body is weak to his disciples. But he's also saying that about himself. You know, um, he he's faced with this decision to drink the cup. Um, and we see that uh, the prayers of Christ, that his spirit is willing to follow the Father's plan, but the humanity he's taken on wants nothing more than to rest and to stay alive and to let that cup pass. And it's his agony to force his body to take the challenge that the spirit knows he must take and do in love. But the abundant love of Christ propels him forward, and he's able to drink that cup um, where the disciples fall short. So, so if I could rephrase that, he's not so much when he says the, the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak, he's not so much... Uh, condemning his disciples, although he does, it is a bit of a critique, mm. but it's also a little bit of a confession. Right, and I, I would imagine that they would think to themselves, ah, at least they know that, at least he knows my spirit is willing, yeah. <laughs> at least that. But, but our love is not enough for us to obey the Father, and no matter how much we love him, no matter how much we want to do right, right by him, um, we just can't do it on our own. And I think this is a, just one thing that propels Jesus to make that decision to take the cup, is to see the brokenness of his disciples, how much they want a relationship with him and to abide with him and to stay with him, and they just can't do it on their own. So I just realized that, you know, we've got Maranatha, Marissa. We also have Do Lost Dave. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it's meant never, to be. You've got to do it now. I'm never going to forget this day as long as I live. So, Dave, you look like you're about to say, Do Lost Dave, look like you're about to say something. So in the Greek, uh, A.T. Robertson suggests that that while the the disciples were weak, while they they kept falling asleep, that some of it was that that they literally pulled off the, that sense of sorrow or grief with Jesus, that they were they were carrying some sense that they anticipated something was going on, and they were so overwhelmed. Jesus was so overwhelmed that he couldn't help but pray and fall on his face and literally sweat drops of blood. He was so concerned. At least that's what Luke records. And by the way, can I interrupt you there? Yes. This is the only mm -hmm. time in the Gospels where it records that Jesus prostrated himself. So in verse 39, mm -hmm. and I'm sure he did other times because that was a form of Jewish prayer, but this is the only recorded time that he throws himself on the ground. Yes. Did I interrupt your train of thought? No, no, that's okay. okay. <laughs> that's okay. So the the Greek word for, for being full of sorrow is tied very closely at the beginning of the passage while Jesus is with the three with Peter and James and John. It's uh, ademonine, and it, it, the image is that, that you're full of trouble, you're, you're full of anxiety, you're excessively concerned, maybe even agitated. You're, you're intensely full of discomfort. And so that, that, that image carried through, and A.T. Robertson thought, that as, as he wrote his commentary, that not only did um, Jesus feel this, that his soul was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, but that the other disciples picked up on that, but they didn't know what to do with that. And rather than praying or processing while Jesus stepped away from the three to pray and to prostrate himself, they just fell asleep. They were so full of that anxiety, they couldn't even keep themselves awake. Yeah. So what do we see happen to Jesus by the end? I mean, as he goes into the garden, by the way, the, the word Gethsemane means olive press. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I was there just a few weeks ago in the garden of Gethsemane. There's still evidence that the olives were, it was kind of a farm to table place. 
It was that the olives were grown right there, then they were pressed for their oil. And uh, obviously Jesus knew the owner of this garden. It would be a private place for him to go and retreat from the chaos. This was not the only night he went to the garden. He seemed during that last week in Jerusalem to return to this garden as a place of solace and quiet and, and solitude. And that's why Judas knew where to find him. But he leaves the garden a different place. Uh, excuse me. He leaves the garden <laughs> a different person, it seems, than when he went in. So what, what do we account for that transformation? Well, this, the pressing, the Son of Man being crushed, is the, the idea behind what you're saying there. And, and this was Jesus' true trial. You know, when he goes before Caiaphas the next day, um, that's seen as his trial, that's seen as his pressing. But that was no trial at all. By the time he gets before Caiaphas, he's been steeled by prayer and steeled by his experience in the garden. Um, his countenance, his will is not being tested before Caiaphas, but here in the garden it is. And this is where he was crushed, crushed where he was distressed and agitated to the point of death. Um, and, and Jesus had no reason to fear death. Um, he knew where he was going. He knew what God's plan was. But he would be subjected in the future to so many things worse than death in the coming days. The judgment of his father, uh, physical, emotional, spiritual torment, pain, humiliation, abandonment. And I think this was just a foretaste of, of the brokenness that he was about to witness in humanity. Just to look at uh, the crowd and all the people that he loved, every single one of those people beloved by God, and to see the depths of their depravity uh, actively calling for his death, death actively working towards his death, um, just all of those horrors were overwhelming him and crushing him in that moment. Dave? So three times, just like the trial wasn't before Pilate or the trial wasn't before the Sanhedrin, Jesus' trial, he, um, there's, there's also almost like a little bit of a compare and contrast uh, this trial with, if you think back to the trial that Jesus had with Satan mm. in the wilderness, the there's some element where he's his real moment of finding victory is right here where he's wrestling with this is my genuine calling this is what i need to face the disciples are just falling asleep <laughs> at three times he goes to the disciples looking for help three times he goes to god looking for help he finds confidence and strength in god knowing that he needs to walk through this for them yeah and i don't know if are we allowed to talk about mel gibson anymore is that still is he back you is he can back talk about him just don't pay him to do stuff <laughs> 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 so in the uh, uh, in his movie, why am I blanking out on it? What's the name passion. of the movie? The Passion. Uh, of the yeah, Christ. that's real tough to remember. Uh, you know, it has that scene where Jesus is in the garden at the very beginning, and he stands up and he crushes a snake under his heel, being a, a, mm -hmm. a symbolism of the temptation at the beginning of his life and at the end of his life was very similar of what kind of Messiah he would be. So, so where I'm going to go with this message, and I'm, I'm going a little off the beaten path, I don't normally use acrostics, but I'm going to use one here because the goal of the teaching series has not been so much about anxiety, but about how to find peace. And as we see through the eyes of Moses and Elijah and Jeremiah and Jonah uh, and Paul, and, and I think I forgot somebody's name in there, but um, we, we see them go through this difficult time, and on the other side, there seems to be peace. So I'm going to use peace as an acrostic, um, and I'm just, I'll go through these quickly, so if you're a teacher, you can be aware of these, but I'm going to sit on two of them for just a moment. The P is practicing the presence of God. I mean, Jesus goes into the garden, and he needs to be alone with the Father, and that is one of the most strengthening things that he could have done on the eve of his crucifixion, 
And I think if we can expect to have peace in this life and not have to have that time alone with the Father, we're, we're going to miss it. We're always going to miss that peace. Um, the E in the peace acrostic is going to be engage anxiety. Uh, Jesus steps into what he, what he fears, not away from it. And this is what I've learned about anxiety over the years, that, that any time I try to avoid my anxiety, it actually increases my anxiety. <laughs> it's when I engage it, it's kind of like that bully, you know. When I engage it, it, it backs down. But if I, if I back up, it'll take whatever room I give it. So Jesus, instead of avoiding what makes him most anxious, he engages in what mm. makes him most anxious, and that ultimately would be the cross. Uh, the rest of the acrostic, I'll just mention it briefly. You know, attentively serve. Uh, to cultivate your influences would be the A and the C, and then the E is enjoying the adventure. Um, you know, we'll we'll make some applications in the garden for that, but... But this is, uh, this is something I want to use, this little piece acrostic, as a way of remembering that, that peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is often the presence of God in the midst of the conflict. And when we see Jesus leave the garden, he is, uh, he's still facing the same circumstances when he entered, but he seems to be more resolute as he's practiced God's presence specifically and as he's engaging in obedience to God. Okay. Anything y'all really are just dying to say? Yeah, well, I think the key to peace is hidden within verse 38 in the Greek where he says, stay here and keep watch with me. It's metanate, or remain or abide. So to remain in him, to abide in him, that's the key to our peace. And all of this is a reflection of John 15, which uh, is this part of the discourse isn't in Matthew, um, but uh, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So these words were said by Jesus to comfort his disciples just hours before the garden. So what he's doing when he tells his disciples to stay with him it's not as much a command, like stay like you would to a dog, but it's a plea and it's a reminder. You can do this if you remain in me. Um, just abide in me and everything will be all right. Um, apart from me, you can do nothing. I need you and you need me. So in the, ni- the night of the garden, we see the vine with the branches cut off and the vine standing alone. And uh, Jesus not only commanded us to, to remain, to abide, to dwell, but he modeled that for us as well. Do lost Dave, what you got? So I've, I've been reading with our interns here on campus <clears throat> a book called uh, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction by Eugene Peterson. Very good. Eugene Peterson <laughs> is a solid, solid Jesus follower who's now in heaven. Uh, one of the chapters that we reviewed today talked uh, about how many times it's really easy to get caught up in the moment, either in the highs or the lows of life, he called it the, the sawtooth experience, that, that it's really easy to go up and down in the, the, the extremes. But as we read through the Psalms, as we walk through life, as we look at the, the scope of the Bible, we can see in the grand scope of things, the people of Israel and the people of God weren't defined by the high moments or the low moments. They were always called the people of God. And the same is true here that Jesus, as he spends time praying and seeking God, he remembers that it, that he's defined by what God has called him to be and what God has called him to do, we can remember that it doesn't matter how anxious our moments may be, we are called and defined by what Jesus did in and through the cross. 
nothing else has to define us or shape us. And I would say that's true particularly of, of anxiety. It's so easy to start saying, I am an anxious person or I, I, you know, I have anxiety. No, that's, that's not your identity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it might be an emotion that you encounter, but our identity is in Christ from first to last. So um, let's pray for peace. Peace in our minds, peace in our lives, peace in our relationships, peace in our world. Uh, so on behalf of Maranatha, Maranatha Marissa. <laughs> going to have to like say it a few times. It's going to mess me. And on behalf of Dulos <laughs> Dave, anything you want to say, Dave? I think we're good. Okay. <laughs> Call it. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen. 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 Amen.